their day. But um, yeah, it's good. It's, it's just great to see the um, just the joy and the uh, opportunity to, to greet one another and to say good morning and to honor each other. So it's good to see you again if you're visiting with us for the first time. We're so glad that you're here. Hopefully you feel welcome. And um, we'd love uh, for you to stop at our Connection Center if you feel so led to do that and see one of our Connection team and just let them know that you're here and we have a gift for you. But thank you for joining us. And so what we love to do here at Trinity also is to dive into God's Word, right? And so that's what we're going to do. So we have been going through a study of Mark and uh, Mark has 16 chapters and uh, we are in chapter 14. We're finishing it up. And so what I want to do is kind of give a recap and then tell you what we're looking at for today's passage, and then I'll read it, okay? And so we are in Mark 14, 53 to 72. Uh, just a quick sort of recap. Where are we? You know, so we, we, we've entitled our series, On the Way. Why? Because Mark, uh, you know, there's four gospel uh, writers, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so they each have a unique writing style. And so Mark's writing style, it seems very, um, everything is imminent with him, right? He used that word immediately a lot. And so when you're reading it, it seems very gripping. Like, you know, like this story is heading somewhere. And that's really where we are now. We, a couple weeks ago, we got into what we call Holy Week or Passion Week where Jesus rides into Jerusalem. But how did we get to this very last week and now even the last few hours of his earthly life? in ministry how did we get there so jesus comes on the scene and and uh you know and mark tells us about how he is calling his disciples not much about his early life but we see he's calling his disciples and his earthly ministry begins and he goes into the temple and proclaims that he has come to do what the father has called him to do and so he goes about the area and calls disciples and these disciples we know them there winds up being 12 right and and then Judas, one of them, betrays him, and they replace him. But Jesus calls these first disciples, the first Christians, and he calls them to follow him. These are men, I believe, that were already believers, and then their group expands, and there are women, of course, that are following him, very devoted women, women that we will see are the first on the scene of his resurrection. But he is calling his disciples, people who have put their faith and trust in him as Messiah, and he says, come and follow me. So when you're following somebody, you recognize that they are heading somewhere, right? They're heading somewhere, and you have people that are following you. It's been said that a leader without followers is just somebody on a a nice walk, right? So Jesus is the leader, and he has followers. He is the master, and he has his students, his disciples. So he is calling them, and what does he do for about three years? He teaches them, and he walks with them, and he's talking with them, and and he is eating meals with them, and they recline together, and they're on their way together. They're, they cover a lot of mileage and ground, you know, and they're spending time together. And along the way, Jesus is performing miracles, right? We looked at all those, and he's healing people and feeding thousands and thousands of people. And it's amazing. So all along, he is showing that who he is, he is from God, because that is where his power comes But of course, it's not all easy, is it? He has his disciples and he's teaching them and he's healing people. And and of course, what's happening then is there are the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders who don't like what he has to say and what he's doing for many reasons. 
because he is threatening their authority, but he is also calling blasphemy, they believe, upon himself. So they're always looking for a way to trick him. Do you notice that? It seemed like there was a whole bunch of Sundays in a row we got together, and the passage started with the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, right? And that was sort of the story. That was what was was following Jesus. If he had followers, what was also following him were these religious leaders. But in addition to that, there was the Romans who were occupying that area at the time and oppressing his people. And so there were people that were out against him and out to get him. And so all along that way, we see that Jesus calls his disciples. He's preaching the kingdom, the good news of God's salvation the king the kingdom to israel they wind up rejecting him of course and that is a big part of what we see today but he is building relationships not only is he calling these disciples and spending years building relationships with him he's building relationships with the community around him as they hear more but then he has special people in his lives men and women right his 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 mother mary and mary magdalene and lazarus and he has his disciples and he has this community around him. So we've seen a lot of this idea, haven't we, of relationship building. That Jesus is building these relationships. So what a great reminder to us. That as we follow him, as we choose to follow Jesus, we are developing a relationship with him. Do you ever think of it that way? I mean, if you meet somebody and you start dating them and you wind up getting married, aren't you like building a relationship with them all along the way? And I mean, then you've been married for decades and you're still building a relationship with them. You should be because that never ends until God calls us home. And so we see there's a lot of that going on and Jesus is modeling that for us. Jesus, we see, is caring for his sheep. One time he just tries to get away on a little vacation with his disciples and then they land in this sort of desolate area, but the crowds found out where he was. Talk about paparazzi, right? They knew where he was, and they found him there, and, and, he's, and he looks on him, and he doesn't say, oh, no, we, we, we can't go here because we need a vacation. What does he do? It says he looks on them like they are sheep without a shepherd. And he has mercy on them, and he cares for them, and he feeds them, and he teaches them. See, it wasn't about him and his, his safety, and it wasn't about his, um, how, how good he felt and make sure he had enough food, and it wasn't about his pleasures or his plan, it was the Father's will that he was all about. And that really comes to its culmination, really begins in our passage for today. But all along the way, he is being misunderstood by his disciples, by the religious leaders, by the Romans. He's being misunderstood, and today that all comes to a head in our passage in Mark 14 today. Today's events are this. There are two parallel events. These two things are happening at the same time. You'll see it as I read it in a moment. But what is happening is Jesus is finally being condemned to death. They tried to find a way. This is sort of a trial. It's a mock trial. Because they finally have had enough said, we're going to kill him. And so they brought him together. They tried to find eyewitnesses that could sort of corroborate their stories, but they could find none. So finally, they ask him straight out, the priest does, are you the son of God? And he says, I am. And from that point on, everything starts to happen very quickly. You'll see that the high priest tears his robe. It's blasphemy. 
They start to beat Jesus and mock him and spit on him. But at the same time, church, that this is happening, at the very same moment, Peter is outside denying him. Remember Jesus said, you'll deny me three times? Remember what Peter's reaction was? Not me. He even, even threw the other disciples under the bus. Yeah, they probably will, but I won't. He goes, I'll even die before I leave you, Jesus. But as Jesus is being beaten and mocked, Peter is outside. He sees what's happening. While he sees Jesus being beaten and mocked, he is denying him. He sees that it's happening at the same time. Mark, in the way that he writes this, it's so powerful, church, because he's telling these two stories, but they are happening simultaneously. Can you just picture it? That Jesus is being condemned, falsely accused, and Jesus is admitting who he is. At the same time, Peter is denying he ever knew him. It's very powerful and profound. So we want to make sure that we don't miss it. So I'm going to read it out loud. Listen to it as I read it. It'll be up on the screen. Picture it as it plays out as God's Word to us today. But this event was real. It happened. Let's try to put ourselves in that place. Jesus, two simple words of truth and of acceptance, I am. And Peter's life-altering phrase of denial, a lie. I don't even know him. These two things change the course of history. Here's what it says in Mark 14, starting in verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, they came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him. But see, their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. Can we pause there for a second? Jesus never said those words. He never said, that he would destroy it. He said, if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it. See how they're twisting his words? And it goes on, verse 60, and the high priest stood up in the midst and Jesus and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent. He made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ? the Son of the Blessed. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him even with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. 
when he went out to the gateway and the rooster crowed and the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders again, this man is one of them, but again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them, you are Galilean. He began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. And that's how that story ends. In fact, as we bring this all to a conclusion, as we look at some of the highlights of the story and what we can glean from it for today for us. That's really where we're going to end up. Those last few words. And Peter realized what he did and he fell down and he wept. It's such a vivid picture. Intense emotion. Strong, powerful feelings that run deep. The leader's hatred. Jesus understanding of the ramifications of saying those words. He said, I am. He knew what would happen once he said that. The priest tearing his clothes, Peter's vehement denial, and the shame and the remorse and the tears. So much intense emotions going on here. It paints such a vivid picture. So here's what I'd like to do, church. Let's watch this scene unfold. This is about an eight-minute clip from that movie, The Passion of the Christ. It's about eight minutes, and it shows exactly what we just read. So here's what I'd like you to do. Watch and listen. If you've ever seen the movie, you know that that all the actors, right, they're portraying it in Aramaic, I believe it is, and the subtitles are there. Think about what we just read. You can picture it, but see it unfold in a very powerful way. Because I don't want to miss this. I was missing it until I read it and then watched this. The power of this event, Jesus being falsely accused, admitting who He is, but at the same time, Peter watching from a distance, denying that he ever knew Him. Let's watch this together.
many of us, as we're watching this, we're judging Peter, condemning him, saying, how could he do that? How many of us would have done the same thing that Peter did, even saying, Jesus, I would never deny you? He said, even to prison, even to death. How powerful that is to watch that played out. Jesus admits who he is. Peter denies even knowing him. Jesus gave his body willingly. He let them beat him, mock him, spit on him. Those who persecuted him, he gave himself up. He did not fight. He did not rebel. Why is that? See, all along, Mark has been revealing to us the suffering servant. Jesus, the one who took upon himself the shame that we deserve. Isaiah 56, 5 and 6 says this, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. 
I hid my face from disgrace. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Isaiah 50, or in 700 years before this, you think perhaps Jesus was thinking of these words while he was enduring that. Isaiah 53, 7, one we're familiar with. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, he, so he opened not his mouth. In Peter's first letter, in 1 Peter, we read these words of encouragement and challenge to remember this scene. Peter writes this letter, and he writes these words to remind everybody, I was there. I said in my pride I would not deny him, and I did. He reminds us to be like Christ in times of persecution, when things are difficult, when all hope seems lost. When we feel betrayed or even forgotten by God because He's allowing a trial in our lives. When we are confused and frustrated and angry and we don't even understand God's plan. Peter says, remember this scene. Peter didn't even understand. He was so confused and frustrated. This was not what was supposed to happen. He says in 1 Peter 2, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? What if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. If we are disciples of Jesus, He said, they'll hate you. They'll mock you because they mocked me. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps that's what disciples do peter goes on jesus committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he was suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who just uh, judges justly he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Can you picture Peter writing this? He was just there. He had seen what had happened. And now he's saying, don't be like me. Don't be like the way I was. He goes, I was straying like a sheep, but I have returned now to the shepherd, the overseer of my soul, and I want you to do the same. You know, it's interesting We don't really hear from Peter after this. I mean, in the scene, right, he he is remorseful. We see it in the Scripture. It says, after he realized what he did, Jesus had predicted it. He falls down, he breaks down, and he weeps. He says, I'm unworthy is what it says in in the video. So what did Peter learn since his denial? Peter was humbled. He came face to face with his pride, See, Peter, and I think Mark lays this out for us this way to show us that in the flesh we can do nothing. The priests were acting out of flesh. Peter was acting out on his flesh. He was prideful. He thought he could do it himself. You even remember Peter was the one that we believe that took that sword when Jesus was betrayed by Judas in the garden to cut off his ear. He's saying, I will even fight for you. But what did Peter have to do? He had to be humbled. 
He had to lay down his sword and say, I can only do this. I can only follow you, Christ, if I'm obedient to your will and not my own pride. Peter had boldly claimed to Jesus that he would never deny him or betray him. That he wouldn't die before abandoning him in their mission. He tried, Peter did so hard to prove Jesus wrong. Have you ever done that? Try to prove ourselves to God. We can earn this. We can earn this, God. I can do better. See, the key to being a follower of Jesus, Mark is trying to paint this picture, it's surrender. It's not fighting or trying harder. It's surrendering our will to His, saying let's lay our pride aside and follow Him. Peter had to learn that in a very stark and profound way. He saw what was happening. He saw the face of Jesus being mocked and beaten and spit on, and and yet at the same time he was saying, I don't know this person. He said, I swear to you, I never knew him. Humility requires that we lay down our swords, stop fighting and surrender. The key to our loyalty as disciples is see to press in to the grace of God and letting it be sufficient on a daily basis. Do you remember the Apostle Paul? He pleaded to the risen Lord Jesus three times. There's that number three again. And he pleaded to the risen Lord, just take this thorn from my side. And what did Jesus say? He said, no, let my grace be sufficient. Even Jesus was saying to Paul at that time, no, Paul, I know you want to be even better for me, a better witness on our mission, but... I will let that thorn continue so that you can rely on my grace. See, church, that's our lesson really from this passage today is that we are to lay our pride aside, not be like Peter. Let's be like Peter after the resurrection. That's where we pick up again. We see in Acts, we see him preaching this amazing sermon and he is now on fire for the Lord, a great spokesman, a great leader for the church. Why? Because he had to learn to lay his pride aside. That we can say all we want. Remember last week we talked about making a vow. We can make a vow to God that we'll be better. We'll sin less. We'll tell more people about you, Jesus. We won't deny you. We won't be ashamed of the Gospel. But where does that start? Those intentions are good. But how are we able to do that? Not in our own strength and power. But only by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we can only gain that power And follow Him truly when we lay down our lives. Jesus said, you want to be My disciple? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Then you can follow Him. Peter had to learn that in a very profound way. We need to release our grip on our own will and joyfully replace it with God's will. Peter was immediately putting up his defenses when he was confronted with his connection to Jesus, do we do that too? Do we do that too? Are we willingly representing Christ wherever we go? We call ourselves Christians. We are then to stand. Not to stand behind the pillar like Peter did, watching it happen. And not to put up our defenses, but to lay down our sword. Jesus, In the midst of all that, the pride of the high priests, the pride of Peter, Jesus, in the midst of it all, was humble. 
when asked that question, are you the Messiah? He simply said, I am. Knowing full well all the ramifications of doing that. We even see what had happened right before that in the garden when he asked the disciples to pray and they couldn't even do that. What was his prayer to the Father? He said, Father, all things are possible with you. Would you let this cup pass from me? But, not my will, but your will be done. That's to be our prayer as well. See, Mark shows us both things happening at once. Jesus being beaten and mocked while Peter denies him. So that we can see that when we rely on ourselves, the Bible often calls it being in the flesh, we will fail. The priests were acting out of pride. They knew what was right. Peter was protecting himself while Jesus was completely vulnerable. You see that? Peter was protecting his own interests, but Jesus made himself completely vulnerable. We also see that repentance brings forgiveness, and this is how we bring this to a close. Again, this whole amazing story, it ends with these powerful words. Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And what did Peter do? He broke down and wept. There were tears. And those tears are tears of hope for us. Peter did the unthinkable. He denied Jesus in Jesus' moment of need. They had fallen asleep in Jesus' great moment of need. These relationships He had been building, these disciples He spent so much intimate time with were deserting Him. Remember we talked about it last week. He was left completely alone, completely vulnerable. But Peter's tears at the end of it all are a turning point. They're a sign of hope for us today. Because what does He do? He becomes a stalwart follower of Jesus and a leader of the church, the one that he thought that he was, when he was all pride. His tears are a sign of a coming day of deliverance and restoration, but it's something we know we have access to today, here and now. God's grace is what draws us to Jesus' words when He tells us elsewhere, come to Me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That's Jesus' call to us. Because of His great and beautiful grace, But what that requires from us, it's tears. It means that we are willing to surrender. We recognize our own need for brokenness and come before Him and say, no, I am not worthy in my sin and I I have denied Him. But yet God's grace forgives me. So we are to surrender ourselves to Jesus daily. Lay our burdens down at the foot of the cross. Let the tears of sorrow flow if need be for our sin and disobedience. For those tears will make a way for the joy of serving the Master. You don't have to carry around that heavy burden of pride. We can rest in the Spirit of the Lord, find victory in Jesus, and not ourselves. We don't ever want to miss the perfect simplicity of Christ When confronted, he was humble and vulnerable and said, I am. Are we willing to take a stand for Jesus here today? And then go out beyond these four walls in our daily lives and pick up our cross, denying our pride and selves and follow him? And in a godly way, in a godly way of prayer,
pride in a good sense stand tall for him? Say, yes, I am a Christian. But even when, church, even when we do falter and fail, because we will, and God knows it, our Heavenly Father, we can remember the, the tears of Peter. Say, those tears are tears of hope because of God's wonderful grace. Let's stand and pray together. Father, you are the God of all grace. And we thank you for that. Your grace is free to us. And you tell us if we just ask for forgiveness of our daily sins, that you will forgive us. We thank you, though, that in Christ, our sin is forgiven, what separates us from you. But Father God, as believers, as we follow you each and every day, may we remember Peter. Remember what happened with his pride and where it led him. Even though he tried so hard, Father, he had to be humbled to realize it was all in your grace and the power that you provide that he could then boldly proclaim who he was. Not worrying about the ramifications or the implications just like the Lord Jesus. That if we are to be mocked for our faith, then so be it. That we were to stand firm for you. But God, through it all, when we face those fears, those challenges, those times of disappointment, of discouragement, of confusion, that we would remember Peter's tears as tears of hope. That there is always hope of reconciliation, of restoration in our relationship with you that is broken and marred by sin. May we always rely on your good and perfect grace. God, go before us now through your Spirit. Embolden us through your power to be like Peter was after the resurrection when it all made sense. And he realized what was true. That he was willing to preach it and proclaim it and stand on that truth. May we do the same from this point going forward. In that powerful name of Jesus, the one we sang about, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. You silence those fears. Thank you, God, for doing that for us today. We praise you and thank you in that powerful name. Amen. Let's go in peace and in his power.